I'll invite the non-children to find Proverbs chapter 1 in your Bibles. So yes, as Meredith mentioned, it is that time of year again. Um, I'm not going to put you on the spot. I'm just curious, a little informal poll. How many among us have made New Year's resolutions or at least have some goal for 2015? You can raise your hand. I know Mike has made his stand. He is not going to try to improve himself in any way. A couple of us, okay, maybe some unspoken resolutions. I I don't exactly make resolutions. I kind of agree with Mike. I don't really think that works, but there are some things I'm hoping to improve in this year. Um, Not going to waste your time with what those are right now, but uh, I think that the general desire in us this time of year to improve is good. I think it's a reflection of our innate desire to be wise. I think it's part of our being made in God's image, our desire to constantly improve and to weed out our imperfections and to cultivate ourselves, whether it's our bodies or our finances or our homes or our families, whatever it is. I think we do that because we're made in God's image. We, it, it is a desire for what the Bible calls wisdom. We want to be wise in how we eat. We want to be wise in how we use our money and how we go about our jobs and uh, all the different things people usually make resolutions for. It's the same list every year. I know in previous years I've read to you the top resolutions. You know, some news organizations will do polls and they're the same things every year because we never really improve that much. It's always about losing weight or quitting smoking, or reading more, or volunteering more, those sorts of things. But all of those things are wise. So I thought last year, why don't we spend the first part of the year in the book of Proverbs? Proverbs is the hub of God's wisdom. It's the clearest place where he explains how reality works, how to live in light of how he's made reality to work. So we began last year taking January and February. We called it Wisdom for a New Year. And I just sort of started working from the beginning through the book, picking out topics and focusing on them and learning what God has to say, letting him set the agenda. And I thought we'd do that again this year and just pick up where we left off last year and notch forward a little bit more. And I might do that every year until we finish Proverbs. We'll see how the Holy Spirit leads me. But before we dig into it, our passage is going to be Proverbs 1, starting at verse 20, but before we start reading it, we need to make sure we're on the same page about wisdom. If you had to come up here and give a definition for the word wisdom, what would you say? What does wisdom even mean? It can be one of these churchy words that we bandy about and don't actually know what it means. So I, you know, I did my homework and I found a lot of big, long technical definitions for wisdom, but they all boil down to the same thing. So this is the Matt Broadway version of what wisdom means. It is knowing and doing what's best. I think that pretty well captures it. Wisdom is simply knowing and doing what's best in whatever the situation may be, in whatever aspect of our life it might be. Wisdom is just knowing and doing what's best. It's not just knowing what's best. It's different from knowledge. Wisdom and knowledge aren't the same thing. We all know really, really learned fools. People who have a lot of book smarts, but not a lot of street smarts. 
It's not the same thing as knowledge. Knowledge is about what's true. Wisdom is about what's best. So take losing weight, for example. Many, many people know a lot about what needs to happen to lose weight and get in shape. You know, I was just talking to somebody today and we were both, you know, throwing out facts about nutrition and stuff. Neither of us are doing any of those things that we know to be true, but we know it. So that's knowledge. Wisdom is when we actually put it into practice and start doing it. It's knowing and doing what's best. Wisdom is also not exactly the same as morality. It, this can be confusing. Sometimes it's easy to define something about what is not. And wisdom is not the same as morality. Morality is about what's right. Wisdom is about what's best. So, for instance, uh, in this sermon series, the second topic we're going to take on is the topic of obligation. Proverbs talks a good bit about um, being wise in what you commit yourself to and in how to handle obligations once you're committed to them. Now, if you get overcommitted and overobligated, That's not necessarily wrong in the sense that it's sin, but it probably is foolish. Foolishness and sin are not the same thing. Now, all sin is inherently foolish, but not everything that is foolish is sin. All right, are y'all with me? I know this is getting like academic on you real early in the year already, but I think it's really important to, to distinguish the two. So, It says in the Bible that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, but Jesus never sinned. So I believe he did just like a toddler has to learn how to walk. I think Jesus had to learn how to be wise. So foolishness is not always sin, although sin is always foolishness. So if it was in a Venn diagram, it'd be a big circle. And then a lot of the circle would be sin and foolishness. And then there'd be a slice of the circle that would just be foolishness. It's not also sin. Okay, you kind of with me? So wisdom is knowing and doing what's best. All right, good. So today, instead of getting into a specific topic of wisdom, I'm going to share with you one of the passages in Proverbs that just invites us to come in and sit down and listen to wisdom. Okay, so this is like your your wizened old grandfather inviting you to come into his study and have a seat by the fireplace So that he can talk to you about life. That's what today is. I'm not the wise and old grandfather, but God is, and he has some wisdom to share with us. So we're going to read Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 through 33. It's kind of a longer passage, so just remain seated. Follow along in your Bible or on the screen. Starting at verse 20. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm 
and your calamity comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but I will, but will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. This is our passage for the day. Let's pray and ask the Lord to teach us from it. Father, I'm grateful that you don't just tell us how to find eternal security in Jesus Christ. That would have been more than enough, more than what we deserve. But you also tell us how to have earthly security, how to live in accord with how you've made reality. You've given us such practical advice in the book of Proverbs. Or please help us be those who turn at your reproof, who listen, who take heed, who receive your counsel. Please help us to be those who dwell securely because of it, who are able to live at ease and without the dread of disaster. And Lord, as we Sit at your feet and listen to your word. May those of us who are tangled up in the consequences of our foolishness start to see clearly how to disentangle ourselves and how to move forward. Please be gracious to us. Lord, I confess that I am chief of the fools. I'm grateful for the grace of Jesus Christ that my sins are forgiven. Lord, please help me and help us to live in light of our forgiveness, but also in light of your wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. So in this passage, there's a lot. It's a gold mine, a gold mine, not a gold mind. I've broken it down into five principles. Of course, there's a lot more in here than just that. And there's a lot of different angles you could look at it, but I just want to give you five simple principles about wisdom to set the stage for the rest of January and February as we start working through specific aspects of wisdom. So here they are. The first principle is this. Wisdom wants you. Wisdom wants you. Do you remember those old uh, military recruitment posters and it was Uncle Sam pointing and says, I want you. Probably had the directions to the nearest recruitment office. This is wisdom looking at you, pointing to you. It wants you. Look back in your Bibles at verses 20 through 22. Wisdom is personified in these verses as this pleading, passionate person. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. She's everywhere. Wisdom is everywhere crying out to you. Now, I remember when I was in college, 
There was a couple of movies that came out. One of them was called The Last Samurai. Tom Cruise as a samurai, which is pretty silly. And the other one was the new uh, Batman Begins, the new reboot of the Batman movies. And in both of these movies, the main character had to go on this journey someplace into the East to find true wisdom. So Tom Cruise had to leave, uh, you know, being a military man in America and be abducted by Japanese samurai. And there he learned true wisdom, you know, in the wilderness of Japan. And, um, and the new Batman movie, Bruce Wayne had to go travel the world and he went to this remote monastery at the top of some remote mountain. And there he learned the true wisdom. And we tend to have this notion, especially as Westerners, that true wisdom is found, you know, over there. And it's sort of the grass is always wiser. But here we see you don't have to go anywhere. Wisdom is crying out to you here in Doolin's Grove Church in this sanctuary. It's crying out to you in your car as you drive at the end of your street, in your living room. God's wisdom is attainable, is accessible. You don't have to go on a pilgrimage. You don't have to climb a remote mountain to find a, a monastery and meditate for 35 hours straight and then you'll get wisdom. It's accessible. It's seeking you. It's crying out. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? It's everywhere and it wants you. And you think of the wisest person you can, you know, just take a minute and get in your mind the wisest person, you know. I think Tom was trying to live into that image with the gray beard he's growing back there. They may not have a gray beard like Tom. Whoever this is, you can attain that same wisdom. Wisdom is not for special elite people. So I think I pretty much finished uh, the first point there. Okay, wisdom wants you. And second principle in this passage, the choice is yours. Okay, this comes from verses 23 through 27. If you turn at my reproof, this is still the personification of wisdom speaking to us. If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because, the flip side of the coin, because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded, Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm, and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. If we will turn, wisdom will just be poured out to us. But in those instances in which we refuse to listen and take heed, Calamity is poured out on us, but the choice is ours. Wisdom is not going to force its way into our minds and and our hands and make us do as it says. The choice is ours. I think the biggest, the best test to know how wise you are is what you do with reproof. I know that's not a word we use very often. It's the word that, that the Holy Spirit chose here. It's a good biblical word. But reproof is sort of the idea of a warning along with the idea of uh, 
almost an accusation. It's saying, you have something wrong in your character, and if you don't change it, it's going to go bad for you. Reproof is very difficult to hear. And what you do with it is a very good indicator of how wise you are or how foolish you are. So the wise person turns at reproof and then receives the spirit of wisdom and the words of wisdom. The foolish person refuses to listen, refuses to heed wisdom, ignores counsel, will have none of reproof. When you are reproved, when something wrong in your heart and in your character is pointed out, do you change course or do you keep course? Do you further harden yourself and stubbornly continue on? Or do you change? One example, one of the ones that, one of the resolutions that's always popular year after year after year is to quit smoking. So, you know, we have smokers in here and I, you know, I have no idea how hard it is to quit smoking. I've never smoked. But when it's pointed out to you that it's killing you, do you take it seriously or not? See, the wise person takes it seriously. Last year when we were doing this series, we talked about wealth and generosity. You know, when it was pointed out to you last year that any money you have is meant to honor God. That's what the purpose of it is. And the wise person gives generously. Did that affect the way you operated in your wallet and in your budget and with your bank account? You know, did you start to give more or did you just say, well, that's for somebody else. I'm just going to hoard wealth for myself, my own enjoyment. So the choice is ours, what we will do. Now we get to the consequences of our choice. Principle number three, if you choose wisdom, you gain security. If you choose wisdom, you gain security. Wisdom leads to security. This is a principle that will hold true. Mike, did the ambulance come? Is she already gone? Seem okay? Okay, good. Good. Wisdom leads to security. Verse 23, if you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. And then verse 33, whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Now, Proverbs is full of principles and principles aren't the same as promises. Principles are, this is generally true. There may be some exceptions, but generally this is how things work. Promises are, this is absolutely true. You can take it to the bank. If, if God promises it, it's a fact all the time. So this is actually a promise in the midst of all the principles that we're learning. This is a promise. If you will turn and ask for wisdom, you will get it. And then that's the promise. You will get wisdom. And the principle is wisdom virtually always leads to security. If you'll live in light of it. It promises repeated in James chapter one, verse five. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. So we can have wisdom. We can have it. And when we gain wisdom, it leads to security. So this is a promise from God's word and it means I can actually promise you that if you will come and be attentive to the sermon series these next two months and if you will read Proverbs and heed what it says, I can promise you, you will gain wisdom. I can guarantee you will grow in wisdom. 
And if you live in light of that wisdom, you will most likely, unless God is doing something unique in your life, you will most likely gain security more and more. And in our age of anxiety, this is a precious thing. I'm not going to have you raise your hand, but I imagine almost everyone in here has dealt with extreme, severe anxiety, panic attacks, has a spouse or a child or a close loved one who deals with a lot of anxiety. We live in a very anxious age. It affects me too. We have a, a promise that could lead to security and ease and a freedom from dread there in verse 33. So take, for example, something we talked about last year um, and another very popular resolution topic, work. If we will listen to God's wisdom about work and then put it into effect in our lives and work hard and be diligent and be faithful in the small tasks, we will most likely experience security in our jobs because we'll become, um, the word just escaped me. What's the opposite of expendable? We'll become, I don't they won't want to fire you, basically. I can't think of the word for it. Necessary. There you go. There's another word. I'm going to think of it later. Indispensable. That's it. All right. Instead of being one of the expendables with um, Sylvester Sloan, you'd be the indispensables. Take uh, what we learned last year about envy. Okay, if we would appropriate God's wisdom about envy it might make it to where we would be able to live a lot more easily. We wouldn't need as much stuff to keep up with the Joneses. We would be content with our spouse instead of looking at the other spouse. We'd be content with our yard instead of looking at the neighbor's yard. And we'd be able to live in peace. And we wouldn't feel that pressure to have what they have or to do better than what they've done and all that. Wisdom leads to security. Wisdom leads to ease of living. It leads to a freedom from the dread of, of disaster. Last year, we learned about some of God's wisdom regarding our words. How many of us have gotten ourselves into disastrous situations because of our words? Have you ever said something in conversation, immediately regretted it, and then lived in fear of the potential repercussions of it? You said a, a, a careless word of gossip over here and then realized five minutes later, oh no, if that gets back around to the person I was gossiping about, there's going to be heck to pay. If we, will, if we will just live by this, odds are really, really good. We'll be able to live securely and easy and free from the fear of dread. Now, on the flip side of that, the fourth principle, if you choose folly, that's the opposite of wisdom. Folly, I know it's not a word we use a lot. It's a good word. Foolishness is what it means. If we choose folly, we'll gain calamity. Another word we don't use a lot. The Bible has a lot of good words we really should use more often. But that's the word that the Holy Spirit chose here, calamity. It's sort of disaster and distress and anguish all balled up into one, like a snowball that hits you right in the face. Wisdom leads to security. Folly leads to calamity. Look at verses 24 through 27 again. Because I have called and you refuse to listen... Have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. 
When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you. Just as you are virtually guaranteed that if you live by God's wisdom, you'll live securely. You're virtually guaranteed that if you choose to ignore God's wisdom, if you choose foolishness, if you choose folly, you're virtually guaranteed to experience what the Bible calls calamity, anguish, distress. You know, foolish living doesn't hurt at all until it does. And when it does, it hurts deeply. You know, we can go on living like fools for a period of time, but then calamity comes like a tornado, like a whirlwind. You know, we're, as we move through Proverbs, the very first topic we're going to get to is adultery. You know, that can start mild. It can start with flirtation and seem as though it's not that big a deal. But once it gets to full-flown adultery, calamity, distress, anguish, like a tornado. Later on in the series, we're going to talk about diligence. It has a lot to do with our work ethic. You know, we can get away for a long time without being diligent. Our bosses might not notice, our families might not notice. But eventually it'll catch up to us. We lose the job. We have no respect from anybody to gain a new job. And financial distress is upon us. Parenting will be the last one we do. You know, when your kids are little, you can get away with foolish parenting for a while. The, the repercussions of that seem mild. You know, minor disobediences, that sort of thing. Foolish parenting extended all the way out. I've seen lead to great anguish as children grow up and just cause problem after problem after problem after problem. Now remember, these are principles. Okay, so just because you're a wise parent or a wise spouse or a wise worker doesn't necessarily mean you're never going to experience calamity, distress, or anguish. But principally, this holds true. Okay, if you choose to ignore God's wisdom, you can expect trouble. I remember being a kid in elementary school, and I'm sure you guys remember this too. Remember tornado drills? You know, I always thought it was a lot of fun. It got you out of the mundane routine of class. And I can't remember. I think tornado drills was get into the hallway and get on your knees with your hands over your head by the hall, by the wall. I think the earthquake drill was get under your desk. I think that's right. Either one, as fun as those were as kids, if that ever actually happened, would have been the scariest thing possible. Some of you may have experienced some of those things happening. I never did. We did those drills because those storms don't give any warning before they come. Okay, the consequences of our folly comes in the same way a tornado comes. It's swift, it's brutal, it's destructive, and you don't get a postcard in the mail three weeks prior saying, Hey, I'm coming. And that leads to the fifth one, the final principle that I'm going to draw out of this passage. Consequences accumulate. When, when you're talking about wisdom and folly, consequences accumulate. Let's look at verses 28 through 32. Right after the personified wisdom explains what will happen to those who refuse to listen to her, she says in 28, Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. 
They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. You know, we, um, our house in Albemarle, where we lived before we came up here to live in the parsonage, we really wanted to sell it, but we couldn't sell it. Nobody wanted to buy it, but we could rent it. So right now it's being rented. And soon after this tenant moved in, the washer-dryer unit no longer worked. Or either that or they needed one because it had to be a stackable unit. Those are details you don't need to know. But So as the landlord, something I never wanted to be, uh, it fell to me to replace it. So I had to go and I had to do something I, I never do. But H.H. Gregg had a deal where there'd be no interest if you put it on their credit card uh, for however long. So we did that. So there'd be no interest. And I could pay it off with the rent money. And they could go ahead and get in there and be happy and wash their clothes. And I wouldn't have to pay interest. But if you slip up and you are late on one of those payments, you don't just pay interest on that. You, it goes back retroactively and charges you all the interest for the entire loan. So if you were late just once, it is a crushing penalty. Okay, all that interest accumulates and accumulates and accumulates. And if you have to experience it, it all falls on you. That's sort of the way this works. Foolish living has consequences. It catches up and it accumulates. And when it catches up, you don't just experience the consequences of that last step toward foolishness. You experience that consequence and all the consequences you've been building up. It catches up. That's how reality works. And it's so harsh. We need to see how harsh this is. I mean, looking back at verses 26 through 28, wisdom says, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Verse 28 especially gets me. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but but will not find me. Now, God is a God of grace. You know, I spend most of my time keeping Jesus in front of you and reminding you of God's grace through Jesus Christ. You know, no matter how sinful you are, you can be fully and absolutely forgiven through Jesus Christ. But we have to remember that folly and sin are not the same thing. And though sin can be completely forgiven and removed as far as the east from the west in an instant upon trusting Jesus' death on the cross for it, the consequences of folly linger. They haunt. I think we want stuff like this to operate like a light switch. So we've been living for 10 years in, in some foolish way ignoring God's wisdom. And then when we change, say, okay, now I'd like to change. We want it to be like a light switch. And all of a sudden consequences are as far as east from the west, where it's a new year, a new me. And it just doesn't work that way. It works a lot more like trying to pull a plane up out of a nosedive. Okay. I don't know 
anything about aviation, but I've seen movies. When the plane is in the nosedive, you can't just grab the whatever and immediately shoot back up. It's a long, arcing trajectory, and it is not easy. That's sort of the way it is when you try to pull up from a life of folly. Okay, so the reason wisdom won't answer in verse 28, and you can't find it, is not because wisdom like hates you. It's because consequences can add up to such a degree that it can almost be too late. And it can take so long to work through the consequences that you can almost feel like you're not going to make it. Now, I believe in Jesus Christ, we have the strength and grace to make it through any consequences of any of our sins. So as an example, last year we looked at scorn. Scorn is basically thinking you're better and know everything and acting accordingly. So if you live a lifetime scornfully, mocking anybody that tries to give you advice, you've got it all figured out, you don't need to learn anything, eventually the momentum of that kind of living is going to render you probably kind of alone relationally because nobody wants to befriend someone like that. And you will have made so many dumb decisions along the way because you won't listen to anybody that you'll probably be in all kinds of debt and all kinds of trouble. So when you decide to change, let's say that's you, and right now you hear this word and you say, I want to turn and listen to the reproof. That's great, but you need to know the consequences of that lifestyle aren't going to just disappear. You're going to have to work through it. But I do believe you can pull up. Otherwise, why would wisdom be calling out, like in verse 22, wisdom isn't calling out to the wise people, it's calling out to the simple ones and the scoffers and the fools. So there's hope for all of us, no matter how foolish we've been. But we need to know as we start this study, there's a lot at stake whether or not we're going to listen to this. And I'm not just trying to manipulate you into coming back or to really paying attention to me. There's a lot at stake here. Our actions do have consequences. They just do. We will reap what we sow. Or as he says in verse 31, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. So wisdom wants you. The choice is yours. Wisdom leads to security and folly leads to calamity and the consequences accumulate. The study we're about to embark on could be huge for our lives if we'll listen, if we'll heed. I put out there on the lobby table a 31-day reading guide through the entire book of Proverbs. You might want to grab that on your way out and just focus these two months on the book of Proverbs. Or you might just want to come on Sundays and just hear what is preached from Proverbs. But whatever you take in, I beg of you, listen to it. Heed it. Don't turn away from it. Don't ignore it. We have an opportunity here. If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. In verse 33... Whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. May that be true of us. Let's pray. Father, I feel 
Like I am not the man to preach this sermon series. I do not feel wise. Lord, I'm so thankful for the grace that we receive through Jesus Christ that we don't have to bear the penalty of our sins and that we have promises that you'll work everything in our lives together for our good, even the consequences of our own folly. But man, it's so hard. It's so hard sometimes to deal with the accumulated consequences of our past. And I pray that this, these two months, you would work deeply in our lives, that you would be gracious to us, that you would humble us, that you would help us to listen and take heed and receive your counsel, that you would give us the strength we need to continue through the consequences we're facing now and to pull up and out of it and to start to taste the truth of that principle that if we'll live by your wisdom, we'll gain more and more and more security in this life, more and more and more ease, more and more and more freedom from dread. Or may we become a wise people, a wise and secure people. Please help us in these things in Jesus' name. Amen.